And good morning. Good morning. So good to see you all. Full house this morning. Great to worship with you this morning. So glad um, that you have uh, chosen to join us and to be together um, in this place. We're so thankful uh, each week for the opportunity we have to worship and uh, to open up God's Word. Um, we are in a uh, study in the book of Acts. If you uh, have your Bibles, I encourage you to open those to Acts chapter 19. Uh, we got into just the first few verses of uh, this book last week. And to catch those of you up that are guests, uh, first of all, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And um, we are, uh, have been working our way through this book. And last week, uh, we saw a very powerful uh, example and testimony of uh, the gospel and the power of the gospel and the reality of much of our human condition, especially in uh, what we... like refer to as sort of the, the cultural West, um, where Christianity and uh, the name of God and uh, understanding of even sort of a, a knowledge of God might be known, but a personal relationship with God is so often lacking. Um, that is not something that is new. That is something that has existed for a very long time. And we go back to Acts chapter 18 into verse, uh, chapter, the first seven verses of 19, and we see Paul finding this exact situation. First, we see it in Apollos as he goes to Corinth and there, or in, to Ephesus, and then Paul finds 12 disciples there in Corinth who knew of God. They knew the name of God, um, but they only ultimately knew of the baptism of John the Baptist who was foretelling of the gospel. They had not met Jesus. And so Paul brought the full knowledge of the gospel to them and ultimately they were redeemed. And um, my hope and prayer is that if you were with us last week and you heard that message, if you yourself maybe found yourself similar to the testimony that I shared in my life uh, for many years, knowing of God, not, not denying that God existed, not rejecting anything of the faith, but not truly knowing Jesus, if that's your story, that go back and listen to that message. I hope if you missed it, re-listen to it again if you did hear it and maybe you're still wrestling with that question because knowing Jesus is the most important and most valuable thing that we can ever know in the world. Um, as Paul continues, as we've been talking about, Paul has been on a journey, um, multiple journeys. We are now embarking on his third missionary journey. So this is his uh, third sort of route around the world, uh, walking almost 10,000 miles to take the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever he went. I'll show you a map on the screen to kind of catch you up of where we're going to be here this morning. We're going to be in Ephesus. And last week, you may remember this map. Um, Paul had sailed across over to Ephesus, then sailed down up to Tyre, made his way down to Jerusalem. He was going down to Jerusalem ultimately to visit the home church and to sort of report back on his missionary journeys, report back on all that God had done. After making a stop in Jerusalem, he then travels back up to Antioch right there on the sea. And there in Antioch, this was the church where he first was sent out from. And so it was as if he sort of was coming home and saying, let me again report to you, tell you all that God has done on these journeys. From there, Paul takes his way up to a different Antioch. That Antioch you see on the top right-hand corner of your screen, that's Antioch of Pisidia, or Antioch in the region of Galatia, all right? And so this is a northern region. It basically swings up. I didn't have space to show you the whole map, but Paul swung up north there to Antioch, and then on his third journey began to make his way out to Ephesus, and that's where we're going to be this morning. Paul has been in Ephesus, and it's going to, we're, as we read this text, we'll see that he's been there for over two years preaching the gospel. This is also the place or on this journey um, through this time where Paul 
spread the gospel to many, many other churches. Many churches were planted. In fact, all seven churches that are referenced in the letter to Revelation or the book of Revelation, those letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 were planted on this journey, were started along this journey as Paul took the gospel to the world. And so he comes to Ephesus and begins to preach. If you're able, out of reverence for God's word, would you stand as I read from Acts chapter 19, verse 8. Through 20. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and apr- or aprons that had been touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Lord Jesus, as we open your word this morning, we pray that that might be said of this place this time in our lives, that your word would continue to increase and prevail mightily over our lives. Right now, Holy Spirit, would you soften our hearts to yield to what you have to say to us so that we might hear from you what a gift it is to open this book and to hear from God, that we might know you, God. Help us in that. Move me out of the way so that you might speak. I pray in Christ's mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we said, Paul has found his way to Ephesus. Ephesus is another major city. Uh, Paul often found his way, of course, to these major cities of influence in whatever ways they were. When he was in Corinth, you might remember, this was a major city of commerce. It was a trade city or a port city where there was tons of wealth, lots of people moving through, a constant sort of churning. And so Paul went there and had the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to a great number of people of influence and power, and the gospel went out. Here he comes to Ephesus, and what Corinth had in terms of wealth and uh, a center of commerce, Ephesus had in a bit of a, a center of, of the arts and ultimately of, 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 of a spiritual darkness that ruled over this city. Ephesus was more of a spiritual center than a center of commerce. 
In Ephesus was the temple of Artemis, or also referred to as Diana. This is the Greek goddess of fertility, and she was worshipped there. The temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the world. This great temple with all of its adornments dedicated to this false god, this Greek god, and there was worship there, and this was really the heart of this worship of fertility and of the occult. And so there's this spiritual darkness and a bit of a false worship that reigned over this city and was known in this city. And this is the place that Paul goes to. And we see as he comes to Ephesus, there is great power in his preaching. He enters the synagogue, as was his practice. We've seen every time Paul shows up in a city, we know this. Where is he going to go? He's going to go first to the synagogue and speak to the Jews And he's going to powerfully preach there. He was there for three months, boldly proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. So much so that he ultimately came under attack. It says that he was there for three months, boldly reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, they began to speak evil of the way. So they, in their stubbornness, they reject this gospel. They reject what Paul has proclaimed to them about the reality of the kingdom of God. The Messiah has come, that Jesus is here. And in their stubbornness, they reject him. And now they can't just reject, as this is human nature, don't we all know this? We can't just reject something. We have to tear it down. We reject it and then burn it to the ground. And so the people of Ephesus, they start to say that it is not just Paul that needs to be torn down, but the entire Christian movement, the way, which was a defining term for Christianity, they attack and they want to tear it down. Well, God was not going to stop there. And so Paul, rather than trying to push back or argue anymore, we've seen Paul grow more and more quick to just say, you know what? I tried. I'm leaving. I'm going to another place. He withdrew from the synagogue, and it says he went to the hall of Tyrannus. The hall of Tyrannus was a great place of gathering in the city. Not a temple for worship, but a hall that was used for all sorts of various gathering places or gathering of the community. And so he goes there, and this is where he begins to continue to preach. He goes into the hall of Tyrannus, and it says that he went there daily, and this continued for two years. All in all, Paul would have been in Ephesus for three years doing this. Paul is a great example to us of using every opportunity that he has to proclaim the kingdom of God. See, Paul was doing his labor as a tent maker. We can know that he went into the hall of Tyrannus. He essentially went in the middle of the day. It says in another book that he was there from about 11 to 4. Essentially, when the heat of the day would come on, he would retreat into the hall of Tyrannus where a lot of the people would gather for a bit of a siesta to take a break from working, and he would begin to preach to those people that would gather. At the end of the afternoon, once the sun kind of went down and the the cool of the evening began, he went back to his tent making. Tent making in the morning, preaching the gospel in the afternoon, tent making and doing his work in the evening, seizing every opportunity that he had to use his life and to be used by God to proclaim the kingdom and to build the kingdom. And so Paul is doing this great ministry, and it's such a great ministry that verse 11, one of the central pieces of this text for us, it says that God was doing extraordinary miracles by his hand. God was using him in a powerful way. Such a powerful way that people began to gather his handkerchiefs and his aprons These were things that Paul would have had on him while he was working, building his, doing his tent making. The handkerchief that he would use to sort of wipe the brow and it would collect his sweat. The apron that he wore as he was doing this. These were things that they would gather up and they would take them away and they'd lay them on people who were sick 
And it says that diseases were healed. Even evil spirits were expelled from these people. There were great things happening. Now, this seems strange to us, of course. But this isn't the first time in Scripture that we see God using these types of things to bring healing. He meets people where they are. You remember the woman in Mark chapter 5 that all she believed, if all I could do was touch Jesus' cloak, I would be healed. And she reached out and touched his garment and was healed. Or in Acts chapter 5, when we began this series many, many months ago, you might remember as Peter began preaching and the boldness of Peter's preaching, he was used by God so much so that people believed and it happened if they just crossed his shadow, if his shadow touched them, they were healed from their illness. But the key of all of this is to remember that it was God doing this extraordinary work. God was the one who was bringing this healing. See, some started to believe perhaps that the handkerchiefs, the aprons, they were magical. That's again human nature to believe that there is some sort of power in these things. But it was God who was doing that. And the healing was coming because of their belief ultimately in the one who healed, which is God. His headbands, wiping his brow, carried off and used in this way. Ultimately, Paul was preaching in such a powerful way and being used by God that his reach continued to go. It says there in verse 10, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is where those churches that we referenced from Revelation 2 and 3 were reached. The gospel is going out in a powerful way. Well, we can know what is human nature. When we see something powerful happening, when we see something exciting happen, when we see a movement of God, very often in our flesh, human nature is that we want to have some sort of piece of that. We want to have something to do with that. And so we sort of try to grab onto that. And that's exactly what happened here. In 2005, President Bush passed a law known as the Stolen Valor Act. It was a law that was put into place to prevent and make it illegal for those who did not serve in the U.S. military to grab onto military accolades, to try to claim that they had served in the military, to wear medals and those types of things, to use that status for gain in public life, whatever it might be. There were people, as strange as it might sound and as evil as it might sound, trying to do anything they could to sort of grab onto the valor of our U.S. military members, and that was made illegal. Similarly, as we look further, as we continue this story, we see this same idea, the powers of darkness trying to grab on to what God was doing. Notice what it says, as these great healings are happening, then in verse 13, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. See, they saw what God was doing. They saw the powerful reach of the gospel and these imposters. They decided, we want to get in on the act. Now, exorcists, Jewish exorcists, we can see them referred to here. This was a common trade of sorts. This was a, a way for them to make money. They would go around and they knew, of course, some of the names of the evil spirits, and the priests, the Jewish priests, they knew the secret name of God. They knew how to speak God's name, and so they were thought to and believed that they could be used to exercise evil spirits, to have evil spirits removed from people who were plagued by this. Well, these Jewish exorcists, they see all that God is doing, and they say, well, I think we can do this. 
And it says, well, again, the interesting language there, they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. It doesn't say that they believed in the name of the Lord Jesus. It doesn't say, it says that they chose to invoke. Essentially, it says they chose to use the name of Jesus ultimately for their own gain. Stolen valor. These exorcists were charlatans who wanted to get in on what they saw happening. They saw the city of Ephesus being transformed by Jesus, and they wanted in on the action. And so they thought they could use the name of Jesus just like everyone else. And this is where we learn that it's not the exorcist who matters. It's the power of God. They, invoking the name of Jesus, they say to one who is possessed by an evil spirit... Look again at the end of verse 13. I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. They don't even really know how to use Jesus' name correctly. They just say, I adjure you by what I've heard that man say. I've heard him use that name in a powerful way. I've seen him be used by God to heal people. In the same way that he is, I do the same thing. This is, they claim to have this. And, of course, they get the response that they should have expected. These seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva, they come in and they try to do this. And the evil spirit answers them, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? The evil spirits, they know and fear greatly the name of Jesus. Darkness fears the name of Jesus. These evil spirits that had possessed this real man in the city of Ephesus, when they hear these charlatans trying to use the name of Jesus to their own gain, they speak to him and they say, I know Jesus, you don't know Jesus. They knew that these people didn't know Jesus. And Paul, I've even heard of him. I've heard of him going around and doing some great things, being used by God in mighty ways. Who the heck do you think you are? That's what they say to him. The evil spirit says to these seven brothers, who do you think you are? We see this power of darkness, and we see the reality of this power of darkness in what happens next. The evil spirits respond, who do you think you are? And then this man, who is possessed by this spirit, it leaps on all seven of these brothers, and in a way that only the Bible can say it, mastered them all, overpowered them, so that they fled the house naked and wounded. One man, thrown out of a house, naked and wounded. Seven others. One man attacks these seven, and we see the power of evil. We see the power of the darkness that existed in that man. They push back. This is a reminder to us of the reality of life. We'll get to the story a little bit more closely on this response, but it should also remind us of the spiritual battle. There is real darkness, friends. So often we look at the world through the lens that we can see them with, just with our eyes. We see what we can see and we respond just to what we see and we forget that there is a spiritual battle at play. And that spiritual battle is the really the one that ultimately matters. This is why Paul would write back to this church in Ephesus years later. He would remind them and some would probably have this scene on their minds when he wrote to them what we'll read from Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where the real battle exists. So often we settle for a battle of the flesh. We look around and whatever that might look like, whether it's in our families, whether it's with our spouses, whether it's with friends and neighbors, relationships, whatever it is, we see darkness, we see challenges, and we want to battle against flesh and blood. When Paul reminds us and what we see in this story, the battle is a spiritual battle. We can know this because it's how we are created, by the way. We need to remember that we aren't first flesh and blood, but we are first living souls. We are embodied souls, and our souls are the only things that will be eternal. This flesh will return to dust. Look at Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord, as he's forming Adam, creating, it says, the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground. God literally took dust up from the ground at the beginning of time in creation as he's creating Adam, and he formed Adam. He formed the shape of Adam. But notice, he wasn't alive when he simply formed the shape, when he formed his flesh. No. And then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man then became a living creature. It's when God breathed his spirit, his life into the man that the man became a living creature. And every single one of us since the very beginning of time, we are embodied souls. Our spirit is what matters. Our spirit is what lasts. And so it's somewhat frivolous, a little bit silly, when we allow ourselves to become consumed with these battles of the flesh, and we forget that there's a spiritual battle. These people in Ephesus would never forget that this was a spiritual battle, that life was about spirits of darkness in opposition to the light of the gospel and the light of Christ. These men... Or this man leaps on these seven men. They're cast out naked and ashamed. Not naked and afraid, naked and ashamed. (laughs) And all of this to remind us that God is not going to share his glory with anyone. God is the one who is delivering and doing the extraordinary miracles, yes, by the hands of Paul, but it was God who was doing them. It wasn't these sweatbands. It wasn't these charlatans posing as exorcists. No, it was God who would do the work. And here is the beautiful thing, the most amazing thing. You know, God in his sovereignty, we so often see pictures of it and we get to see how God is operating, what he's doing. And in this moment, God takes evil and he flips it on its head and he uses evil against evil. The evil spirits that have possessed this man. God then takes these evil charlatans that want to hijack the name of Jesus and use the name of Jesus to their own profit and gain, and he puts them in opposition to one another. The evil spirits say to the ones that are trying to use Jesus for their own gain, I know who Jesus is and you aren't him. And they put him, they, they are put then to shame. Evil versus evil. I've just got to imagine while all of this happening, God is sitting back just laughing a little bit. (laughs) Chuckling to himself as he sees the forces of darkness, which he has total dominion over and complete power over, trying to wreck people's lives. 
trying to stir up and as he brings that opposition. Well, we don't just see the power of darkness. We ultimately, as we continue this story, we see the power of Jesus. These seven trying to use Jesus' name for their own gain, they're cast out naked and wounded. And look at verse 17. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. This story, their shame, got put on we are Ephesus and everybody knew it. (laughs) Everyone was put on blast. They knew exactly what they had done and they were openly put to shame by God. Both Jews and Greeks, there was not anyone in Ephesus that didn't hear the story of this. And fear fell upon all of them and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Do you see this? Evil charlatans thinking they can take Jesus' name, go in to try to expel an evil dark spirit of darkness. God uses that to turn them on its head and ultimately Jesus' name is the one that gets extolled. That word extolled, I know you've used it a lot this week, but to help you understand that. That word extol literally means great. The Greek original language of that is megalino, which could be used to say to glorify, to declare as great. Mega, you hear bigness in that in its original form. Jesus' name was made great in the city of Ephesus through this story, through this situation where there were spiritual forces of darkness trying to wreck what Jesus was doing and put on hold and cause shame and other things to come against the people of Jesus, the proclaiming of Jesus' gospel and the hope of Jesus, ultimately his name was extolled. His name was made great. And so great was his name that it says that all of the believers, the many believers, came confessing and divulging their practices. Remember I told you that the city of Ephesus was known for its sort of dark arts and uh, dabbling in things of spiritual darkness. Well, those who had met Jesus and truly knew Jesus and understood the greatness of his name, they came and began confessing and bringing all of their sort of tools of this and bringing it and saying, we repent of this dark practices. They shared what they were doing. And a number of those in verse 19 who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. The value of these books, by the way, it says, was 50,000 pieces of silver. God's word records that for us that we get a little bit of a picture of the volume of darkness that was overturned through one act of God saying, I'm going to show you the true power of Jesus. God Use these evil spirits so that Jesus' name would be exalted. God can use anything he desires to glorify his name. He can use evil. He can use our weakness. He can use sinfulness. He can use whatever he desires so that his name is glorified. And he so often does that. See, this story started with God demonstrating his power through Paul's ministry, the proclamation of God's word, Paul preaching and teaching and reasoning in the synagogue, even to the point, again, of his clothing being used to display God's power. As it continued, we are left with no doubt of where the true power lies, in the name of Jesus. There's many false teachers, not too dissimilar from these Jewish exorcists in our culture today, 
Men and women who would try and use the name of Jesus for their own personal gain. And they should be rebuked. And we should push back on that. And we should know that anytime you see someone striving to use the name of Jesus for gain, they are not listening and they are not using the name of Jesus faithfully. Jesus will not share his glory with another. To them, God would say, who the heck are you? I don't know you. And for those of us, as we strive to be attentive to Jesus, we need to be reminded that when we worship the things that God does, even the miraculous or the supernatural, we are missing the point. We are here to worship Jesus, not the things that he does, but he is the one that we worship. Jesus is the one who has victory over darkness. And it's through his gospel, his death, his victory over death, that we also are given life and raised to life. Here's the amazing thing about all of this as we look at this story of those who would dabble in darkness. Some of us, in fact all of us at one point in time, did the exact same thing. Played around with our sin. Treated it with some trivialness. Acted as if it was not that significant. And God in his unbelieving love for us still called us to himself. And his power overcame even the darkness in our own hearts. So we too could say like the Ephesians, we come and we confess that we've done things that would be out of line with your word, out of step with the calling on our lives. And as we confess that to Jesus, we receive the power of his grace, the power of his restoration. The people of Ephesus, they found a true savior through this story. A savior that convicted them for their sin and then was gracious enough to receive them and ultimately transform their lives. That's the power of the gospel, friends. We have a Jesus, a savior who loves us that much. We have a God that we worship who will one day put to end all darkness. It will exist no longer. And he welcomes us into that light and that life today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We worship you. We magnify your name. As we look at this story again and consider seems a bit strange to us. The context of it seems a bit foreign, I'm sure. But I pray that we would be reminded first that there is a spiritual battle. Let that be the battle that gains and receives our attention. Let us also be reminded of the greatness of your name, Jesus. We worship you because like these people in Ephesus, there's so many things that we've put in front of you. So often we've gotten it wrong and yet in your grace and your kindness to us, you receive us, you welcome us. 
So I pray for my friends in this room, all those that could hear the sound of my voice through wherever they might be watching today. They would know that grace. They would know that love and that we might together exalt your name, glorify you as great King Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh you say.